I'm John McWhorter, and before we begin, we have something in addition to the regular show, and that is our Slate Plus segment. This week's Slate Plus segment is going to be about the breaks. We're going to talk about the word break. This is an extra segment that you get when you become a member, which frankly helps me and the podcasters and the writers do the work that we try to do, and where you don't have to listen to the ads. And if this is your thing, there's a Facebook group. You cannot listen to this piece online. You can't sneak into it. The only way to hear these nuggets of wisdom is to subscribe to it. And the way you do that is to go to slate.com slash lexicon plus. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and you know, this is my 75th show. No, I don't believe either that I've done it that many times, but this is the 75th. We're getting towards 100. And you know, if it's my 75th, then I want it to be one of those shows that's all about me, sort of. Although what that means is it'll be a bit about how linguistics, or at least some linguistics works, and you're going to get a sense of it from just visiting the recesses of my unfortunate mind. Now, you want to know what I mean by that? Well, let's just jump right into it. Bobby Short is going to tell us how we're going to do it by singing us a Cole Porter song from 1930 called Let's Fly Away. Let's fly away and find a land that's warm and tropic Where prohibition's not the topic all the live long day Let's fly away and find a land that's so provincial We'll never hear what Walter Winchell might be forced to say So where are we going to fly? Well, I'm going to sneak in through the back door another introduction to a language family here. Not completely, but we've done a lot of, well, Indo-European, and then we did our Semitic show. Well, you know, another language family is called Austronesian, and these are the languages spoken in, really, to give you a sense of it, let's think about those islands off of Southeast Asia. So, for example, Indonesian is an Austronesian language, but then go further up, fly further up, along with Bobby Short. Languages of the Philippines, the one you're most likely to have heard of, you might think it's pronounced Tagalog. I wish it was, but it's Tagalog. And then these languages scoot along the coast of the island of New Guinea over eastward. And then you get out into Polynesia, Micronesia, and Melanesia. Those are more Austronesian languages. So we're talking about one of the bigger language families, depending on how you count it. Good thousand languages in there. Sometimes people puff it up to 1,500. And people have done the kind of reconstruction on it that I often try to regale you with, with Indo-European. And in any case, Austronesian is one of the many language families of the world, one of my favorites. I always think of it like in a kitschy sense, if Semitic is about sphinxes eroding in the sand and, you know, music that sounds Middle Eastern. And so I play something from Kismet or the band's visit. Austronesian languages are just hot. And by that, I mean where these languages are spoken. Generally, you are not going to need a coat. Let's go back to 2004. Late one night, I was up later than I now usually can be because there were no little kitties yet. Late one night, I was up 
And what was I doing? Well, I was reading about Austronesian, and yes, I did find that entertaining. Anyway, it's 2004. Let's have some background music for 2004. This is back when at any party you went to, this would be played. I waited till I saw the sun. I don't know why I didn't come. I left you by the house. I don't know why I didn't come. I don't know why I didn't Boy, this takes me back to that time. Also, texting being relatively new. It's 2004. So, I'm reading about what Austronesian languages are like. We're talking about Indonesian. We're talking about Tagalog. We're talking about languages like Hawaiian and Samoan and Tongan and Fijian. And then we get into languages that most of us haven't heard of. But there's a whole big bunch of them. And it's hot. And you're thinking about coconuts and starfish that are blue. Really, I saw that. I went to Indonesia once and there were these electric blue starfish and nobody had painted them. So you're reading about all these languages and all of a sudden there was somebody, one of the experts who said very casually, and there are some Austronesian languages that don't have any prefixes or suffixes at all, such as and then he just went on and kept on talking about Tagalog and all the other ones. And it was the strangest experience because I, I felt like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon character. I kind of scooted. It was like, ah, 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 ah. wait a minute. What? An Austronesian language that doesn't have any prefixes or suffixes. What is it? Chinese? That's actually a rather rare kind of language in general. And then the person just kind of went on. But no, I went back and I thought, well, what are these Austronesian languages with no prefixes or suffixes? What would that be? I mean, you don't just stop there. This was exactly as if you were reading the paper one day and it said something like this. Yesterday at SeaWorld, one of the walruses spoke to its trainer, informing her that one of the turnstiles at the entrance to the tank stadium was stuck. After preparing the turnstile, the maintenance staff, in view of the fact that such malfunctions have been especially common of late, suggested exploring other bidders for park infrastructure in the future. The decision process will likely be protracted. Imagine reading that, and it just kind of goes on and on, and you're wondering, wait a minute, why? how did the walrus talk? But it never says anything about it. It was the talking walrus. So I did more research on this. I wanted to know what languages are these. And it turns out that it's really just a very few in a place you might never think of. There's an island called Flores. Flores is about the size of your closet. I shouldn't say that. Flores is a very small island. But, you know, like pretty much any island, it's got languages on it. And there's a western half, and there's some languages there, and, you know, Austronesian, whatever. There's an eastern half, and there's some languages there, Austronesian, whatever. They're members of the family. They've got the typical DNA. Then in the middle of Flores, there are these languages that are strangely negged. These negged languages. Their names, if you must, Keo, Leo, Ngata, Ronga, Ende. Somebody, if they have quintuplets now, should name their children, Keo, Leo, Ngata, Ronga, and Ende, because those are pretty names. Those are the languages, and they just have nothing at all. No prefixes, no suffixes. And you know, that's really an odd thing in a family of languages that have plenty of prefixes and suffixes, because languages don't just lose their prefixes and suffixes. That's just not how language works. Some of you may be familiar 
with the fact that you can learn Latin and Greek and Latin and Greek are just jangling with all these prefixes and especially suffixes, whereas Germanic languages like the one I'm speaking have fewer. Yes, that's true. Germanic did lose a lot of that kind of thing, but then it developed a lot too. There are always new things coming in. It's like a, a duck-billed dinosaur. They're not really duck-billed, a better a cro crocodiles. Their teeth keep coming all the time. They lose a tooth, then a new one comes. Languages are like that. So maybe Germanic lost a lot of that Latin Greek style mess. But then again, the past tense ED, that's something that came in in Germanic by itself. Or the Romance languages, they lost a lot of what Latin had, but they developed a lot of new stuff too. Like if you've ever suffered through French or Spanish or Italian and you're learning those future endings, those are new. Latin didn't have those. Latin lost its future endings and then romance developed some new ones. Or if you've taken French, remember the liaison? Les grands arbres, the big trees, those, those funky little rules. That's just French. Latin didn't have that. Or because fewer people take French these days, Spanish. And so, ven conmigo, come with me. Ven. Ven acá. Ven conmigo. Well, that's come with me. Why not like Nora Jones, come away with me? Why not just ven con me? What's that go? Well, that's a little bit of stuff that that's just Spanish that developed that. So it's always coming. It's crocodile's teeth, not tears, but teeth. So you find out that there are these languages that have nothing. Well, what happened? Basically, languages are either, this is a vast overgeneralization, but like all such overgeneralizations, one, it's fun to listen to, and two, it's pretty much true. A language is either like Russian or it's like Chinese and it's got the tones. So if you don't have all the inflection, if you don't have all the amo, amas, ama, then you're going to have the tone. But these languages in the middle of Flores, they don't have the prefixes and suffixes and they're not tonal either. I found that odd in 2004. Of course, there was a whole lot more going on in the news that one could have paid more attention to. But one thing that I found odd was this business of what was going on on Flores. Now, there are some linguists who really just don't give a good goddamn about things like that. And you say, well, why does Leo not have any prefixes or suffixes? And, you know, they'll just kind of tip back. <laughs> if it was 50 years ago, they would be puffing on their pipe or their cigarette. And it's just kind of, and they just say, well, it's just something that happens. Let's go get some coffee. But I, I don't know if it's just something that happens. In fact, I know that it isn't. When you find a language that's part of a family where everybody's got prefixes and suffixes, and all of a sudden you have nothing, that is like your cat walks in hairless all of a sudden. And, you know, somebody says, what happened to pussy? And then somebody sits back and says, oh, it's just some natural process. And then, <laughs> why are they British? Actually, I'll, I'll bet a few of you know that when I'm saying this thing about what happened to pussy, I am thinking this. This is Are You Being Served? Couldn't help it. It's brief. Here we go. Hello, is that Mr. Akbar? Mrs. Slocum here, your next door neighbor. I wonder, um, would you do me a favor? Would you go to my front door, bend down, and look through the letterbox? And if you can see my pussy, <laughs> would you drop a sardine on the mat? What happened to pussy? 
something happened to that cat. It's not just that all of its fur fell off because of some natural process. And, you know, the cat probably would barely mind, you know, frisky, happy, fully functional cat. But why did it lose its hair? Somebody shaved the cat. Who shaved the languages of central Flores. So this idea that languages are always simplifying, always taking it all off. No, that's just not how it works. It's Anglocentric. People are thinking about old English to modern English, but the Vikings did that. It's implausible. If it were really true that it's natural for languages to get simpler, then wouldn't I right now be going like this? I mean, if languages just get simpler, then apparently there was some time when they were all complex. Then something happened. I mean, more oxygen in there or less or something. And then languages just get simpler and simpler because that's the tendency. And so wouldn't we basically be down to one vowel and no grammar? Doesn't really make any sense. You know, on Flores, actually, back in the day, you know, if you look at the paleontology of Flores, there were little elephants. So we all know what elephants are usually like. Flores as little, the elephants were little. You had elephants like... Little elephants, little little pygmy elephants. Well, they got that way because Flores is small, and so the elephant doesn't need to be as big as it usually is because it would push the island down into the sea. You know, it would exhaust the resources, and so the elephants get smaller. Well, suppose somebody said, well, it's natural for animals to get smaller because the elephants on Flores are small. No, that's a local condition. So, because I have invited you to come to Austronesia and then into my study, such as it was in 2004, and we're talking about... Nudity, I suppose that we have to have another Cole Porter song. We're going to do all Cole Porter this time because his birthday is coming up in like (laughs) over a month just because I like him. This is from Can Can in 1953. This is called Come Along With Me. This is Eric Rhodes singing, and it's a sexy, naked little song. We can go to dine with an old marquise Who delights in putting her guests at ease By receiving only in a pink chemise Come along with me There's a prince whose home has become a must For the lower men of the upper crust Cause his high-born wife has such a low-cut bust Come along with me When you meet these folks, my pretty mate You will like them a lot All their titles are legitimate Though their children often are not And again I say, baby, if you'd care For an unconventional love affair Plus a boudoir full of fancy underwear Come along, woof, woof, come along Woof, woof, come along with me Woof This is the thing There are these naked languages in the middle of this island And some people say, well, that just happened And no, I'm sorry, I guess I'm a more dramatic person It didn't just happen, but but who who did it? What, What happened? What wouldn't you know in the news around just that time was Flores. And that was because they found, talking about paleontology, now let's call it archaeology, they found that there are remains of little people on Flores. There were these people who, there's been much argument as to whether they're homo sapiens at all, these little people. And they're often popularly called hobbits, and so I'm going to keep calling them 
that. And what's interesting is that they dug up hobbits that were about 12,000 years old. Now, Austronesian got to Flores from westward, actually from Taiwan. That happened only a few thousands of years ago. And so 12,000 is long before anything where we can be talking about Austronesian. But there are memories among people who are indigenous to Flores now of little people almost ominously like these skeletons that have been dug up as recently as a few hundred years ago. Now, you have to be careful with lore, but still lore very often has something to do with reality. Somebody will tell you that, you know, let's say you're in the Congo and the locals will say, well, you know, there's this horse thing. It's this brown horse thing that has stripes on its butt and it's solitary. There's this horse thing out there. And, you know, the Brits would say, oh, no, no, it's just some natural process of, you know, whatever they thought. But no, there's not going to be some horse because they figured all the big mammals have been discovered. Well, no, it was the okapi. This is my favorite animal. My students give me okapi dolls. It's wonderful. The okapi was only discovered like five minutes ago, I think actually in about 1901. You have to listen to people when they talk about these sorts of things. And people long before anybody found any 12,000 year old skeletons were saying there were these little people in one of the languages they called them the ebugogo which sounds like a little people and they were kind of off on the outskirts of society and they only disappeared according to some of these people a few hundred years ago and they said this long before anybody knew that someone like me would be salivating to hear it now you're thinking well on the one hand, it turns out that there are these, you know, talking walrus languages. They don't have any prefixes or suffixes for no reason that anybody has ever bothered to try to figure out. Then you hear in the news that they have discovered these little people who lived on this island and the homo sapiens who live on the island now readily say and have said for a very long time, there used to be these little people who lived among us. And you can't help thinking, well, Eureka, my goodness. You're waiting for it. This is the sort of thing that could make a career, if you want to call it a career. This is the sort of thing that gets you out of bed. And, you know, there are all sorts of tantalizing things. And so, for example, Flores. I told you how there's a west and there's a central and there's an east. Well, if you do anthropological work, notice I'm making it sound like I did it. Anthropological work among all of these people shows that this lore of Hobbit people is strongest and most vivid in the middle of the island. If you go to the west of the island, the people say, well, yeah, maybe there's something like that. They were more like spirits and, well, let's have lunch. If you're in the middle, they say there were people like this. They were human, but not human. They talked kind of funny. They had a kind of a tone like this. And they were there. And we exterminated them relatively recently because they kept stealing. Then you go to the east part of the island and they don't have any lore like that at all. So it almost seems like, well, there really were these little people in the middle and they must have done something to the language. Like, let's say that there's some earlier kind of human. Maybe there's some kind of remnant homo erectus or something like that. Well, maybe their powers of language weren't as strong. And so their language, their rendition of the local language is going to be easier. And so there goes the prefix and suffix. Couldn't that be the answer, especially if the people who speak these central languages with the Dion quintuplet names, those are the people who speak most vibrantly about these little people. So you're sitting there, you're just all ready to have this epiphany. 
But you know what? Now we have to talk about the aspect of linguistic analysis that's often called sociolinguistics. And unfortunately, it throws a bucket of ice water over all of this because if these little people had an effect on the way the other people spoke their language. So if there was a normal Flores Austronesian language and then these hobbits start speaking it, but they take away the prefixes and the suffixes, the question is, why would everybody else start talking like them? You need the sociolinguistics. So if they were hanging around on the outskirts and considered to talk funny and there are all sorts of other physically unpleasant things mentioned about them that I won't bother with here, nobody liked these people. So however they spoke the language, why would they be imitated? Why would, for example, a child imitate them, these despised people, rather than, for example, their parents and their peers. And that is such a problem that if you're going to be a scientist rather than a fantasist, you have to let go of the idea that these hobbits were responsible. And that was hard for me, but you have to now. Of course, one can't let go of these ideas completely. And just suppose these people were, say, enslaved in some way, maybe along the continuum of enslavement, maybe they were used as nursemaids because that sort of thing can affect language. Suppose Homo sapiens babies were raised by Homo habitius. They're, they're called Homo floresiensis, but Homo habitius nursemaids, and they have their simplified rendition of the language. And let's say that the kids pick that up because they're getting their language from them. And then that ends up spreading throughout the whole region that ends up sticking. It's been heard of the way the nanny, the way even in this country with Gullah, the Creole, the way the mammy spoke can actually end up affecting the way language is used casually in an entire context. So tell you this. I am not sure this will ever work out, but I don't want to give up on it completely. Everybody these days wants to be a data scientist. I'm gradually learning what that is. But if you don't want to be a data scientist, if you don't want to go out and scient any data, then be an archaeologist. And I, I want you to do something that I frankly am not going to have time to do because I'm raising children. And by the time they're grown, I'll be elderly. Go to Flores. Bring a shovel. And I want you to stay in the middle of the island. Don't go to the west. All that's been done. Don't go to the east. There are other people doing that. Go to the middle, please. And if you dig and you find what seems like chicken bones, look more closely because it might be hobbit bones. And especially if you find a skeleton of a female hobbit cradling a child that seems a little bulky to you know, still be at nursing age, that might be a homo sapiens baby being nursed by a hobbit sapiens. And you should find that. And please tell me, tell me because science. But if it isn't the hobbits, then suppose we have to look elsewhere. What else about Flores and what might lead to language being remodeled in that way? There is an island near Flores, and it's called Sulawesi. In the old books, it's called Celebes, but now we call it Sulawesi. If it's familiar to us, it's for two reasons. One, a lot of coffee comes from it, good coffee, too. And also, it's gorgeous. It's shaped like a starfish with one of its arms taken off. It just, it sprawls. It looks like this kind of lady leaning against a door in her bedroom. I, I've seen it. You've probably seen it on a map. I flew over it. It was so much fun flying over Sulawesi and actually seeing the arms of the starfish, but it's there. And more to the point, the lore 
of many people on Flores, when you ask where they came from, you know, what, what the creation myth is, is that they came from Sulawesi. And actually, it's pretty specific with group after group. It's always the southwestern leg of Sulawesi. They'll even specify you. We, we came from Goa and there actually is records of a Goa empire. Now, is it that they came from there or is it that there was a big invasion from there? Because of all this is not written, of course. This is all oral, and oral tends to be relatively generalized, and it tends to morph over the years. And so it's important, but it's not as if all of this was written down by missionaries or the people themselves. But they just say, we came from over there. So does that mean, for example that there was a big invasion from there, which seems even more likely in that their records of their actually ruling part of Flores for a while within the previous millennium. Now, that's interesting that they would say that they're from there and not from somewhere else. They have a sense of being from somewhere else because if men come in and invade, and invading, you know, that's generally by men, they come in often, they'll kill as many men as they can, and marry the local women. And that results in new kinds of languages. And so there's one place in the Caribbean where there's a location or three where there are two Native American families involved. We'll call one family A and one family B. Well, there's a weird thing where family A is supposed to be what the language is, but instead, the people there speak a language that's like family A, but with a whole lot of very basic words from family B. It's like the people are trying to speak two languages at a time. If you ever encounter a language in Belize called Garifuna, for example, it's one of these languages. So it's supposed to be family A, but there's so many words from family B, which otherwise is spoken way down to the south, you know, in South America, that you can't help thinking something happened. And what happened is that people from way down south, men came and invaded, killed all the local men, married the women. And the result was that kids grew up with daddy speaking language family B, mommy speaks language family A. So they basically learn an A language, but with lots and lots of daddy words. You can understand how that would happen. And then centuries later, what you've got is this mixed thing based on men coming in and frankly creating an awful lot of tragedy, but you know that happens. Or a very mysterious case, there's a windy island in Europe where a bunch of Vikings jumped over and learned the local language and impregnated it with words of their own and they didn't learn the local language well and so it got a lot simpler. Some of you may have guessed that I'm talking about English. We should be speaking something that's like Icelandic or German. Instead, we have a much easier grammar and you can barely walk around in English without stubbing your toe on some word that we got from these Norsemen, you know, to get, happy, knife, neck, all of that is Norse. So if that can happen, suppose there were invaders from Sulawesi, as these people basically say, and the way these invasions go, you don't usually take your family when you're going to go slit throats. You know, it's a bunch of men who go and they're over there and they kill all the men and then they're the women and they get together with the women, and then pretty soon children come. And what are the kids going to speak? Well, just suppose that the kids are going to speak this original 
Flores language, but they're going to speak it the way daddy speaks it. Daddy has come. He's an invader. There's a new language. He's a grown up. He doesn't learn language as well. He doesn't want to learn this language anyway, but he has to communicate, especially with whoever he decides to quote unquote marry. So he's going to learn this shitty version of the language. Now the kids are born. There's mommy, but there's also daddy. And you spend time with both of them to some extent. Maybe you grow up with mommy, but then you go join daddy to go invade other islands or something like that. Pretty soon, everybody's speaking just like they were speaking simplified English, some kind of simplified Flores language. So maybe it's that. Now we're in an area of linguistics called language contact. It is burgeoning, as it's often said. And language contact deals with things like that. Cole Porter had something to say about all of this. I don't think it was about Flores, but for those of you who like his musical Anything Goes, the versions that we hear now cut some songs that really probably are better left in 1934. But this is one of the lost songs in a way from Anything Goes. And you will understand where I'm going with it by just listening to this snippet from it. This is Anything Goes, 1934. Of course, a recording done in the late 1980s. What does where the men have to do with this? Well, I'm talking about how, you know, these guys came in. What's very interesting is that if you look at the genes of people on Flores, and it's also a couple of surrounding islands, including one of them where a story like this seems to apply. But in Flores, you have a bottleneck where it seems like an awful lot of men were killed, where the male genetic material seems to be coming from a very thin base. That fits right in with a story that there was some kind of invasion where an awful lot of men were killed. So where are the men? Well, maybe that's why these Central Flores languages are talking walruses. So I have brought you into one little tributary of my research over the years just because it's a lot of fun and it allows me to examine Austronesian, a group of languages that I otherwise have little reason to deal with. And I should tell you that I'm telling you this is about how to be a linguist, but I'm taking a much bigger bite here than we usually do. Usually you are much more granular. Usually you're dealing with less speculation. You don't get published in the real journals. You don't get people to let you play their reindeer games with just vast speculations like this. So usually you keep it smaller. And here's an example of smaller. This is a transition that I'm going to enjoy. Remember, ish is more about ish. So on the Vic and Sade radio show, the mother says ish when she wants somebody to stop talking about something vaguely disgusting. And I told you last time that that must come from Norwegian. So talk about language contact. That must be Norwegian immigrants because Ikka, I said, 
is a negator in Norwegian, and ikka can become ish. Here's something I forgot to tell you, which a couple of writers had already told me, and a bunch more have told me since, and I'm glad that they nudged me so much, which is that ikka already became ish in Norway. That's the way it's pronounced in what's called New Norsk. And so ikka is what it is on the page. That's the most conservative form. That's the way it was when somebody decided to write it down. But the ish had already happened. So it didn't have to become ish here in the United States. It was already ish when it was brought over. So that's a little bit of more historical linguistics, how ikka becomes ikka, becomes ikka, becomes ish, etc. It's neat stuff. Here is something that only in the past 10 or 15 years has been really established about how language groups relate to each other, including Austronesian. So here's something where the evidence is much firmer than many of the things I was talking to you about. We're talking this time about relationships between language families as opposed to relationships within families, such as mothers and aunts and uncles. And okay, because this is my 75th. I'm going to impose a bit of Merman on you here. This is my mother would love you from Panama Hattie. She happened to record this. My excuse is that it's all about family members, but I also just like the way she sounds during the last minute of this recording. I will never play this again, but just a bit of, of Merman. Here we go. My mother would love you. a god of you and you'd win my dizzy and lizzie too my mommy grandma mommy would start from hatton if we went strong by you my mother would love you and incidentally What am I talking about? Austronesian. I've told you about that. Now, you know how if you look at the map of Asia, there's this Southeast Asian part that, if I may, kind of like Brooklyn on a subway map of New York, it looks like the testicles of Asia. I mean that, frankly, as a compliment, but that sack down there, that is a fascinating place for thousands of reasons. One of them is that there are a bunch of language families down there. So Chinese is part of a big language family. But if you go down into that Southeast Asian peninsula, I guess it is, just by country, you've got on the left, Burma, and then in the middle, Thailand, and then you've got Laos and Vietnam over on the right. Now, Burma is part of what we'll call family C. And we're going to call it that partly because we already talked about families A and B over in the Caribbean, and partly because family C has Chinese in it. So there's Chinese, and Chinese is part of this bigger family called Sino-Tibetan. Burmese is in there. Then over on the right, you've got Vietnamese and Cambodian also. Their part of a whole other family. That's called Austro-Asiatic. We'll move on, at least for this show. Then when you're talking about Thailand and Laos, that's a whole other family. So you might think that all the languages down there are somehow related to Chinese because Chinese is up there, right? And something about food. See how there's no real reason for it to be the Chinese. That's kind of like um, on King of the Hill, the are you Chinese or... 
Japanese. So are you Chinese or Japanese? I live in California last 20 years, but uh, first come from Laos. Huh? Laos. We Laotian. The ocean? What ocean? We are Laotian. From Laos, stupid. It's a landlocked country in Southeast Asia. It's between Vietnam and Thailand, okay? Population 4.7 million. So are you Chinese or Japanese? Oh. But no, they're not related to Chinese. Nevertheless, a lot of the languages there act a lot like Chinese because Chinese has been around them for a long time. So the Thai languages, Thai, as you can imagine, is just one. And then there's Laotian, then a whole bunch of others that we never hear of in the United States. But Thai languages, if you're trying to figure out where Thai came from, a linguist who traces these relationships wants to know where did Thai come from? Because there's no evidence that it came from Chinese. It's a nice idea, but it's not enough like Chinese in terms of how the words match up for that to make sense. Where did Thai come from? Hard to say because as with Chinese, you're dealing with everything being mashed down to one syllable. And so you don't have words like anti-disestablishmentarianism. You don't even have words like accidental. You don't have a word like watercolor. That's not the way it works. And so it's more like we say, did you eat yet? But we can smash it into jeet. Well, in some languages, everything is like that. That doesn't mean that it's getting simpler because that means that you have this one syllable that means both did and you and eat. And then you can imagine what all the other syllables are like. But you have this smashing into one syllable. That's what Chinese is like. That's what Thai is certainly like. And that means it's kind of hard to find out how it relates to the words in other languages because it's almost as if a car let's say it's empty, let's say that they're filming the French connection with crash dummies or something like that, runs straight into a wall and you can imagine what that looks like and then some car comes up behind it and goes, ah, damn. And then that's the car and there's a Thai syllable. So it's hard to reconstruct, you know, what was in the trunk, what kind of carburetor it was. But nevertheless, there have been people for a long time who have noticed certain suspiciously tantalizing resemblances between Thai words and Austronesian words. Now, the geography works. Austronesian is spoken where it is, the hot place. And here we are over in Southeast Asia, Thai, and actually up in parts of what is now China. That is exactly where Thai is known to have begun, the Thai languages. That is exactly where Austronesian is known to have begun. So they must have been in contact. But the evidence with all of the car smashing has been hard to nail down. So for example, Austronesian languages, Malay, which is basically Indonesian, and Tagalog, if you're talking about the word for I in Malay and Tagalog and lots of other Austronesian languages, it's mata. Nice word. That's the word for I. Now, in Thai, the word for I is ta. Thai speakers, I'm sorry, I'm not even going to venture the tones. I apologize, but I would just sound drunk. So you have ta. Well, it's kind of like the ta in mata, but it could just be an accident. But there are a lot of little things in Thai that seem accidentally similar to Austronesian things like that. So in Malay and Malagasy, that's way over on Madagascar, which is off of Africa. Actually, that's an Austronesian language too. People sailed over in little boats. It may have been just one boat all the way across the Indian Ocean to Madagascar and settled an Austronesian language there. That's a different story. In any case, if you want the word for something like, I hate to say it, but it's what comes to mind, die. Well, in Malay and Malagasy, that's mati. Well, in Thai, the word for die is tai. So that's kind of like the T, if you know how vowels work in Austronesian. And so T, mati, tai, 
all sorts of things. And so for a long time, people have thought, is there a relationship between the Thai languages and Austronesian? Well, I'm actually happy to say that the person who seems to have rather officially nailed this is Weira Ostapirat, who was a grad student at Berkeley when I was a tiny boy professor at Berkeley. I never knew what he was working on then. Now I know that it was this thesis. He developed an awful lot of evidence for Thai being related to Austronesian. And it's pretty much been nailed down because a Thai language has been found way up in the north. Wouldn't you know it? It's up there in the China part where there would have been this original language. You have a Thai language called Buyang. So it's the scent of the woman Thai language, Buyang. And Buyang is not all smashed up. Buyang didn't drive drunk. Buyang's cars are nice and stretched out like little limousines. And so the word for I in Buyang is not ta. It's mata. It's that same word that you have in Malay and Tagalog right there. Or in Buyang, the word for die is not just tai. No, it's mate. Isn't that nice? I'm trying for the Buyang tones because they're a little easier. Buyang speakers, I apologize. But mate. It actually has the syllables that Austronesian has. That nails the Thai and Austronesian came from some big granddaddy language, Thainesian. And that's something that's been found based on very carefully comparing all of these words and looking at the Thai languages. Buyang is one of a few that actually haven't had that car accident yet. So these things are revealed. This tells us something else about linguistics, which is that fieldwork is important. You have to document Buyang. So if you're wondering what one reason is for documenting as many languages in the world as possible, Part of the reason is that figuring out where they all came from and often, therefore, where the people who spoke them came from means that you have to go come up with what the words are, what the grammar is. I don't want to go out on Porter because I'm in a mood. And so speaking of fragments of Latin, as we discussed last week with our interview with Gaston Doran, let's do some Brazilian Portuguese. And by fragment, I mean no kind of diminishment because there is no such thing as a diminished kind of Latin. It's a new kind of Latin. But just think, you know, French, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, not to mention Romance and all sorts of other languages all started as Latin. And now they are of so many different flavors. Let's go out on Mashkinada because it's just a damned good song. It's one of those that I could listen to over and over again without going crazy. Put me in solitary, play this over and over, and frankly, I would enjoy it. I shouldn't announce that now in case I do something wrong. But Mashkinada, it's just a wonderful piece of music. So this is Sergio Mendez in, I believe, 1966. us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, go to Slate.com slash Lexicon Valley. And by the way, you know that sound that I did, that that's something that I associate with Eeyore. Did you know that Eeyore, he, he's a donkey, Eeyore is hee-haw in British. 
Like, did you ever wonder, why is he called Eeyore? Who came up with that name? Why is it that? It's because in British, it's eel, eel. And in British, you know, especially if you take off the H, eel is how a donkey makes a noise. So for us, it's <laughs> hee-haw. But in British, it's eel. And so Eeyore is hee-haw in British. But then in American, it comes out as Eeyore, which is just this strange name. Isn't that neat? Anyway, Mike Volo is, as always, the editor. And I sometimes accused of being something of an Eeyore, am John McWhorter. Mas quem nada sai da minha frente que eu quero passar Pois o samba está animado, o que eu quero é samba Este samba que é misto de maracatu É samba de preto meio, samba de preto do Mas quem nada, um samba como